right, Matt, you were telling us about Ted Kaczynski before we uh, started recording. Yeah. Tell me, what were you saying? <laughs> Put me, for, the, for the FBI that's listening. No, 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 no. Fine, don't. Uh, welcome yeah, no, back, I'm everyone. I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, okay. Ellie really wants to know. We need to know. Tell us about Uncle Ted. Uncle Teddy. Mathematician extraordinaire. I just know, I just know him from his uh, banded harmonics work. Right? <laughs> that's it, right? That's what everyone knows him for. Yeah. Okay, well then, I guess this is the Poor Proles Almanac. Welcome back. Uh, we are the the proliest proles, and uh, yeah, my name is Andy, and I'm joined by a couple of uh, very special men. Today we're talking about the soy boys, but there's more of us, so we're doubling the soy and doubling the boy. Let's do it, we men. Or he man. We man. There's, there's multiple of us. I guess that sounds like woman, but I don't know. Don't overthink it. How are you doing, Elliot? Uh, I'm okay. Matt, how are you doing? Well, I'm spending my night on a Zoom call with you two nerds, so... So he couldn't be better is what he meant to say, I guess. Eh, could be worse. Well, anyways, today we're talking about microbes in the soil. A long, long time ago, before we ever knew anyone would listen to this podcast, remember those days, Elliot? I do. We did, uh, I think, two episodes on soil. I'll be honest, I think they were pretty damn decent. Completely tolerable. Absolutely acceptable. Agreeable, some might say. Some might. And uh, 120 episodes later, Jesus, the time has come for us to uh, explore a little bit deeper into the regions of the soil. For a recap, for those who have not listened to all 120 episodes or only are here for the soil stuff, then you don't need this. But everyone else, plants grow in soil. They feed stuff in the soil through exudates, particularly bacteria and fungi, or fungi, depending on who you ask. And then those fungi make other stuff soluble to plants. Protozoa and nematodes show up and try to feed on bacteria and fungi, and this also makes more nutrients available in the soil for plants. The protozoa and nematodes are often eaten by arthropods, which are basically like, you could call them, I guess, soil lobsters. Wait, what? Not like not like lobster lobsters. They're not like tiny lobsters going around in this in like I don't know some like Star Wars shit. They uh, they just have like exoskeletons. It's just I think sometimes conversations like this is how people came up with Pokemon. Oh, okay. I I figured you were gonna go with like the obvious like food, soil lobsters. Yeah, but there's already like a lobster. Like this is like a combination of a lobster and something else. It's like a land lobster. Lambster. Yeah, I mean, the big problem with lobsters is you have to go out on the sea to get them. Could we breed, like, soil lobsters? <laughs> okay, we're, we're, we're getting off topic. What, Elliot? What? If, they, if they tasted the same, then I would say, like, hell yeah, let's do that. That's all I'm going to say. Now I'm hungry. No, they probably taste like shit. So, soil food web, right? Everyone eats everything, and the size of the animals doing the eating keeps getting bigger, right? And it all comes back to the plants, which kind of direct this whole process because they can photosynthesize light. And there's the added benefit of things like bacteria, fungi, worms, and ants that when they work through the soil, they either uh, produce a slime to help stabilize the living thing, like in the case of the, the bacteria, or they burrow, creating pathways for air and water to both enter and leave the soil. All of this together creates both spongy and gluey-ish soil that's also airy. Whenever uh, any of these pieces die or are eaten, 
the nutrients that they've consumed then return back into that soil. It's this diversity that also helps keep that bacteria and fungi, which in some cases might be considered bad for plants, in check. Okay, so this is the same concept in Jidam, uh, not KNF this time. I mean, who could have seen that coming in this podcast here today? Right? Who would have ever believed that no we would keep harping on these same points? It's insane. It is insane. No one would see it. But here we are. This ratio that we're talking about is based on the needs of the plants. Now, remember, like I just said a few minutes ago, this whole process is driven by the plants because they're the ones that are pulling that initial energy from the sun into the system. This is why, and we'll talk about this a little bit deeper in this episode, old growth forests have fungally dominated soils and early succession sites are bacterially dominated and it exists on this continuum, right? We've probably seen that graphic if you're listening to this podcast of like the prairie to old growth forest with bacteria fungal ratios. Bacteria is really high on the left side, fungal is really high on the right side. That basically summarizes the first two episodes we did on soil. Yeah, that sounds about right. Although I don't know if you can assume that people have just seen these like incredibly detailed and specific graphs that I'm sure you have up as like posters. I think everyone has seen them, Matt. It's just like it's as common as like a Star Wars poster. Everyone's seen it. Come on. All right. Put a poll on your story. We'll see who's right. I just don't think that's true at all. I mean, you're right, Elliot, because I don't think I've seen a Star Wars poster. Oh, Andy. <laughs> oh, Andy. It's, it's, uh, like, it's like he lives in his, in his compost pile. Oh, my God. You're the one living in the bioslime tunnels, huh? <laughs> it's me, guys. It's been me all along. I'm sorry. God. So back when we did the original two episodes, I wanted to get the point across about the importance of the living things in the soil and why they matter and frame up the future conversations we would have, like the soil amendment episodes we did with KNF and Shadam and so on. So what I want to talk about today is these microbes and their impacts a little bit deeper, specifically around the use of nitrogen. Because like, let's be honest, that's like the one thing anyone that knows like the bare minimum about agriculture knows nitrogen, right? When these various organisms are eaten that we've been talking about, the predator keeps some of that nitrogen that was in the prey, but some of it is also released as waste in the form of plant available ammonium. Now, Mr. Biology, tell us a little bit about ammonium. All right, we're going to have to work on that nickname. But okay, basically it's food for special bacteria that can convert it from ammonium into nitrates. And these special bacteria thrive in high pH, bacterially dominated soils. These alkaline soils are such because of the bacterial bioslime, which allows these nitrogen-fixing bacteria to thrive. Okay, so nitrogen exists in the form of ammonium in the soil when things die. And in high pH soils, it becomes nitrates because of the biology, but not in low pH soils, I'm guessing. Exactly. Because the bacteria doesn't exist there, at least not in any meaningful amount and not the specific bacteria necessary for this process, it remains as ammonium. Now, the first point I want to make is that with commercial fertilizers, they're almost always producing nitrate. That is the, the fertilizer for those high pH soils. And if I've learned anything from this podcast, it's that everything nature likes to create its ideal conditions. So plants that live in low pH soils don't want nitrates. Exactly. Now, for us to fully understand and appreciate the role microbes have in this space, we need to remember all the way back to the Jadam episode. Yeah, you're going to try to tell me to drink curdled milk again, aren't you? Wait, have you not? I thought that was the assignment. 
I mean, wait, did you guys? No. No way, man. No. We talked about this idea of the cation exchange capacity or the ability of the atoms in the soil to bond with minerals and water. The lower the pH, the harder it is, generally speaking, for the soil to hold these minerals through that magnetic bond. Sandy soils specifically have less charge, therefore have a harder time holding minerals too. This is why when you think of like sandy beaches, there aren't plants growing there. That that sand can't hold moisture, it can't hold minerals. Keep in mind too that lower pH soils are more common in forests, but the thing that's different is those same forests often have high amounts of organic matter, which also have similar properties to like a neutral pH soil. The reason it's important though for what we're talking about is that while being able to bond with say water is great for plants, it's actually more important for like the bacteria. These bonds are often uh, between the soil particles in hydroscopic water, which is only a few molecules thick. And this super thin film creates such a strong bond that the plants can't access it. But something else does, doesn't it, Dr. Biology? No, still not working. Anyway, but you're right. So this collection of super thin water that spreads across the entire soil is crucial for microbe survival. The bonds in this water are so strong, even drought often doesn't break it, unless the soil is like completely unprotected on hot days. Even dry soil, where plants are dying, will still actually have this hydroscopic water. Okay, so water being the bringer of life, I'm guessing this is how soil keeps the biology alive. Basically, yeah. And of course, with this water, there needs to be air, right? Otherwise, anaerobic bacteria will thrive, and their byproducts like alcohol and methane will eventually kill plant roots. Not ideal. Not a bad way to go, though. Man, do you think Venus flytraps have, like, Venus fly livers? I think that's a sign we need to take five, so uh, we're going to take a break, and you guys can go listen to this ad, and we'll be back in like a, a minute or so. I need answers. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening. This is Andy from the Poor Pearls Almanac. Hopefully, you're enjoying the podcast so far, and right now, I'm talking to you from a commercial in a Poor Pearls Almanac podcast. I'm sure you're enjoying the show and maybe even enjoying some of our ridiculous ads. We are able to keep our episodes ad-free and keep the lights on here because of support from listeners like you. If you think we're adding valuable perspective to the subjects of agriculture, ecology, climate change, and politics, then please consider giving us some support on Venmo, Ko-Fi, Patreon, or PayPal, all of which can be found at our website, poorproles.com. Please, don't make me go to Jeff for money. Okay, so after some looking, no, Venus flytraps don't have livers. Yeah, so much for my uh, exclusive plant organ meat business. (laughs) Weren't you a vegetarian long enough? Fair. Now, this does raise a really important and existential question. If carnivorous plants had organs, would their organs be considered vegetarian or not? I'm not high enough for this conversation. No one is high enough for this conversation. Listen, listen. You guys just can't handle me asking the hard questions. And I'm not sure that's the problem here. Now, what does this all have to do with microbes in the soil? Nothing, I'm guessing. You don't have to guess. Yeah, I was uh, I was hoping you guys could kind of reel that big back in for me. So we touched briefly on what resources microbes in the soil need. 
unsurprisingly, like many things that I like to talk about, it depends. I want to shift quickly to Soil Horizons, and then I think we can start to get in really deep on the subject. Get in deep, Soil Horizons. No. Get it, guys? No, no, we got it. Just going to have to work on it. Yeah, I'm writing it down. Nicknames and jokes. Yeah. Yeah, we're going yeah, to have to talk after this. No, we're not. We're not. These jokes are beautiful and perfect, and everyone loves them. It's all the messages we get on Instagrams about the jokes. They're like, I don't even listen for the content. I have no idea anything about agriculture. I'm here for the dad jokes. It's it's true. I'll I'll prove it to you. Everyone loves them. Sad but true. Sad but true. We have a real niche audience. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyways, so everyone is familiar with this concept of soil horizons, right? But instead of rehashing that subject, I, I want to get into a little bit more detail on specifically that top horizon. If you're familiar with undisturbed soils in the forest, the layers of the topsoil are pretty obvious, right? You've got your OI horizon surface layer where you've got that duff, that stuff that's like clearly plant or animal material. Oi, duff boy. Yeah, that's all I got. Well, all I can think of is the sea lines from Finding Nemo. And just like them, the OI layer or OI layer is sitting on the surface, just waiting to break down. Incredible transition. Right? Now below that is uh, your OE layer, OE layer, depending on how you want to go with that, which is further broken down to the point you know it's still plant material, but it's not like identifiable. Like the difference between a last year's like maple leaf and like that is a leaf, but I don't know what it is. And then beyond that is the OA. OA is where it's so decomposed, you can't tell if it's animal waste or like plant remains. It's just like that brown, nasty, moist stuff that's a little bit below that top layer. The reason you need to know these layers is so you can tell if your soils um, will create more of these decomposition byproducts like nitrogen. So you're looking at the future health of soil by looking at the state of the current surface. Makes sense. Yeah, you're predicting what's going to be in the soil when that breaks down, right? You, you can see that layers on there so you know new nutrients are getting into the soil or they're not getting into the soil, right? So we can see the way our soil will evolve in terms of nutritional content through this what you could call like work and process layer. We can also tell the health of our soil by how much the polysaccharides, and that's that sticky stuff, the bacteria, fungi, and worms use to bind materials and humic particles together, whether or not that exists, right? So that all kind of comes back to like soil structure, really. Good soil structure helps plants thrive, and good soil structure is also great for the microbiology. Which came first, the microbiology or the soil structure? If your wife was a worm, would she appreciate your knowledge of soil structure? Absolutely. And if not, I got batteries. Wait, I, I need explanation on the batteries. <laughs> Are you? I feel like this is like a, I want to put each end of a worm on up the end of a battery. Like You're overthinking it. Okay. I don't want to know then. I'm scared now. Someone pick me up. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> I, we were talking about pH before, actually, now that I think of it. Uh, well, what I, uh, we didn't finish what I wanted to say about pH, and that was when we talk about pH, what we're really talking about is the concentration of hydrogen ions in the solution being measured. Hydrogen time. <laughs> so what I'm hearing is we can use low pH soils to power hydrogen cars, Matt. That's the future. Soil cars. Soil Dirt cars. cars. Oh, my God. That'd be oh, cool. Shit, yeah. That'd be, we'd be so dirty. I love it. Really, the reason I'm bringing this up... I'm pretty sure you just figured out a way to extend the Mad Max series. 
Oh, absolutely. They're going to have soil cars. <laughs> Just dirt cars. Mad Max, dirt but cars. it's like really, really slow moving cars. Yeah, but they're still going now. <laughs> yeah, just like slowly turning compost piles. Jeff Lawton is leading them. It'll be beautiful. <laughs> Anyways, so the reason I'm bringing this up is because I think when we talk about pH, we, we talk about it as like this abstract thing, right? That exists like my soil is four or six and like those numbers aren't related to like a reason. It's just, oh, my soil sucks or is good or whatever. And we know it's kind of related to this idea of like that fungal bacterial ratio, uh, which it is, but there's also a chemical basis for it. And what we see when plants exchange hydrogen cations for nutrient cations, the concentration of hydrogen cations in the soil goes up, meaning that the pH goes down. So there's this direct inverse relationship happening between exchanging these hydrogen cations for nutrients. Okay, so that explains why, or it helps explain why forests are mostly are always low pH and are fungally dominated because fungi can handle low pH soils better than bacteria. It's almost like nature knows what it's doing. I'll add though that this does get a bit balanced out because roots also take up negatively charged anions that raise the pH back up a bit which is probably why soils don't become overwhelmingly low pH, even as they enter the, like, old growth stage. Yeah, so this frames up the fact that these chemical compositions are related to the biological compositions, which reinforce one another, right? Now we know that fungi and bacteria make up the bulk of the foundation of the soil food web, right? So let's start with bacteria, since I think it's, uh, well, first off, it's more prevalent in early succession, and uh, that plays into why this development of soil takes place, but also because I think it's the one most people are concerned with because of uh, like annual crops, right? So bacteria is the second most common primary decomposer of organic matter. And this matter is broken down into these small electrically charged pieces stored as energy. Stored in themselves like fat and human bodies? Basically. And then other stuff eat the bacteria. Yeah, we need to cue the like circle of life music in here. We can't. Copyright infringement. What's important to understand really is that the bacteria are capable of breaking the bonds along the chains of complex molecules, right? So these get broken down into simple sugars and fatty and amino acids. And these are the three primary building blocks of bacteria. We need like the, the like horribly lobbied food pyramid for these bacteria. You know what I'm talking about? Like bacterially sized, like French fries for like their vegetables and you, like... You want to have the FDA make it? Yeah, exactly. What could go wrong? It would be beautiful. It'd be perfect. I can only imagine. It'd be perfect. They need to have cinnamon toast crunch for their sugars. Like it, it'll work. These bacteria, you know, we, we keep talking about them like they're this monolith, but they actually specialize quite a bit. In the compost episode, we talked about actinomycetes that use enzymes, which give healthy soil that earthy smell to cellulomonas, which use cellulose-breaking enzymes for breaking down cellulose. Wow, shocking. Yeah, now, woodier materials, which are made of much more complex chains of interlinked alcohols, are often resistant to the enzymes produced by most bacteria and are often only susceptible to fungi. It's all coming together. Why certain hardwoods are used uh, in building and stuff like that, because they're actually antifungal. Well, in antibacterial. Antibacterial, sorry. Antibacterial. Yeah. You know, it does make sense when you think about, like, if you're to throw a stick in your front yard, it doesn't just break down, right? The point of this really is that all of this is cyclical. 
whether it's the carbon dioxide, a byproduct of bacterial metabolism, which is then tied up in plant and animal biomass only to return to the soil to be cycled back into gas and decay or sulfur or nitrogen. All of these are cyclical processes directed by the soil biology, not those chemical reactions. The chemical reactions happen, but it's the biology that's defining it, right? But they are chemical reactions. Exactly. It's, it's chemical reaction driven by biology. Biochemist has a whole new meaning. Right? Now let's focus on the nitrogen since I wanted to talk about this the most and how the microbial community impacts how nitrogen exists in the soils. So we've talked about ammonium, right? This is where the process starts, the decomposition of proteins into ammonium. This is a waste product of bacteria and fungi getting eaten by nematodes and protozoa. Afterwards, special nitrate bacteria convert this ammonium into nitrites. A second type of special nitrate bacteria then converts nitrites into nitrates. Jesus, this sounds like some sort of natural version of Inception. I don't know what- Don't. I know you know what that is. Oh god, this again? It's the movie about driving someone else's dreams within a dream. Am I a bacterial dream? Are we all bacterial dreams? <laughs> You're a fucking nightmare. <laughs> uh, we could be a bacterial nightmare, I don't know. Anyways, these bacteria, um, they don't like acidic environments, so they're far more often found in soils above 7 pH, right? Much like the bacterial slime we mentioned earlier. And like our plants, bacteria try to keep an environment that meets their needs. So the more bacteria, the more slime, the more the soil will stay above 7 pH. If the soil is, say, 5 pH, very little of the ammonium is converted, locking up the potential nitrogen for the plants that would be looking for ammonium. But trees use nitrogen, like in the proverbial forest, and are in low pH soil, right? Yeah, and we're going to get there right after this break. Woohoo! Howdy, I'm Angel Luna. And I'm Nash Flynn. We are two comedians with a podcast. It's very original of us. It's a history tour about everyone's final destination. As a reformed academic, I've researched a lot of death history. And I'm here also. We talk about ways we die, ways we get buried, and ways we get remembered. Join us and listen to Death and Friends. Okay, we're out of time, so I guess that's the commercial. Cool. Oh, wait, no. Available everywhere you listen to... All right, all right. Let's talk about this fun guy, fungi, or fungi. I'm not actually sure, so I use them both, so no one can tell me I'm wrong. Well, fungi. It should be fungi, right? Because you don't say fungus. I guess. I don't know. I feel like fungi is, like, colloquially used, so I don't know. Not important. Yeah, the definition of not important. <laughs> okay. Now, unlike bacteria, fungi can grow in size like a plant while bacteria can only grow in number in terms of like how many bacteria exist in the soil. Because of this, fungi don't need a film or water like bacteria to travel through that soil. This allows them to find new food sources and transport nutrients, and depending on the size of the fungi, this can be across the entire fungal mass, which is often several yards in size, although documentation of significantly larger fungi exists. Also, like bacteria, they can go dormant and wait until the right conditions to grow. Okay, so you've got me thinking. A lot of indoor growers use fungi to inoculate soils to help break down nutrients for plants. But those plants are annuals. Are those fungi even doing anything between in the meantime? Okay, so this is actually where it gets even more interesting. Even more interesting. 
so some fungi actually prefer the sugars that bacteria enjoy, although most are more efficient at breaking down more complex foods. While breaking down these complex foods like cellulose, the fungi is growing at like 40 micrometers a minute. Now, for context about the entire growth cycle of most bacteria, or for context, that 40 micrometers a minute, that's about the entire growth cycle for most soil bacteria in its entire life. Fungi is a grower, not a shower. Boom, Andy. That is how you do a joke. He's a Don't. fun guy, Elliot. He's a fun guy. I think you're the reason mushrooms are shaped like dicks. So we mentioned bacteria was the number two decomposer worldwide. Well, unsurprisingly, fungi is number one. Fungi number one. Fungi number one. Now, unlike bacteria, they can break down the tougher lignin and cellulose, as well as the shells of insects and even bones. Its ability to move nutrients while also reaching across those horizons we started this episode with is what makes it uniquely important in building soil. And what's particularly important and why fungal additions to indoor grows is, again, particularly important, is that it can break the bonds of phosphorus locked in soils, which even when added as a soil amendment often becomes immediately locked up, and they'll trade it with plants for exudates as the plant requests it. So this is a tiny slice of that huge complex system we talk about, like an economy of sorts. All trickling down. We're not done with this, and we're going to tie this back into nitrogen before we wrap up. So when fungi eat or die, a major portion of what's released in either process is nitrogen. Now, we've talked about ammonium versus nitrate, right? When fungi release nitrogen, it's in its ammonium form. If those nitrifying bacteria are present, the process to convert it to nitrates is done. But that's only in high pH soils. Exactly. So the enzymes released by fungi are acidic, and in that acidity, lower the pH. So as the fungi grow, and again, they grow significantly faster than bacteria, the populations of nitrogen-fixing bacteria shrink in relation, making more ammonium available instead of the high pH-produced nitrates. Okay, so fungi and bacteria release different types of nitrogen and impact soil pH by their byproducts and volume. And plants also change during this process to get what types of nutrients and nitrogen they target and want? Yeah, basically. So why didn't you just say that? Well, where's the fun in that? Wait, you guys are having fun? Are you not? I mean, I guess. This is bullshit. It's never bullshit. (laughs) It is bullshit. We, We are always having fun. You would not show up every week if you weren't having fun with me, all right? Let's mm. let's cut the shit. You put on the tough look. Everyone wants to act like they're too cool Listen, for it, we, but you were we here. We went years without hanging out. I'm just making up for lost time because I'm a, I'm a good friend. Okay. And I'm all you got, buddy. <laughs> all right, so, so a few quick points I want to make. In soils without fungi or the bacteria which convert the ammonium to nitrates, without those two processes we just talked about, the nitrogen will quickly be oxidized and lost. This is why building the soil is so important, and just adding fertilizers is not a long-term solution. And way back two years ago, we summarized this, but generally speaking, early succession plants do better with the nitrates from the bacteria, and trees do better with ammonium, which is more prevalent in lower pH soils, where the fungal ratios are higher. The young plants die, providing more food for the fungi, which further increase that ratio. Because remember... The fungi are the ones that can reach up to that topsoil and pull those nutrients down, while bacteria are limited by basically that water layer, right? They can only travel within that and basically with gravity. However, remember that there still is some bacteria, mind you, and even plants which prefer one type of nitrogen over another 
can still utilize the less preferred nitrogen, just not as efficiently. Yeah, it's important to remember that the bacterial mass doesn't really change. It's the fungal mass that's increasing. So what if, I don't know, what if, what if I wanted to increase bacteria for my garden near a bunch of trees or like a tree line? I think you know the answer to that question, Elliot. Be proud. You now, can do it. Now that you've said it like that, we've talked about dirt, but not shit. So Probably. Okay, maybe. Honestly, I don't know. Uh, we did talk about compost recently, and part of that was talking about customizing compost mixes. Obviously, this is a bit more complicated than how I'll describe it here, but basically, the more greens like grass as opposed to leaves or other materials will lead to higher bacterial ratios, and conversely, that'll impact the pH of the compost, right? Yeah, and if you want to hear just like an excellent episode on compost, we have one from a few weeks back. Just just stupendous, really. Well, someone is proud. Too proud. Oh, man, really? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they do say pride comes before the fall, so... Yeah. Uh, one last thing to Elliot's question. We can build bacterial mulches by using those same materials we'd use to make bacterial compost. Lawn clippings and other green materials will create a bacteria-oriented mulch, which will be better for your annual garden's plants. You can even shred some of those brown mulches like leaves super finely to make the nutrients more accessible to bacteria, but it will still have a fair amount of fungal activity because of the materials. Jeff Lowenfels argues that the same mulch can be actually used differently. Burying mulch can increase bacterial activity while surface mulching increases fungal activity. And like I said before, the reason for this is what he argues is that bacteria can't travel as easily as the fungi can. The idea of using bacterially dominated mulches in particular works well to reduce weeds too. The mulch takes time to break down and ties up nutrients on the surface short term while also reducing sunlight penetration into the soil, reducing weeding and generally making things a bit easier to work with. Exactly. Now, of course, it's not simply a dichotomy of bacteria and fungi, right? There's a, a number of things interconnected in these relationships, from algae and slime molds to protozoa, nematodes, arthropods, earthworms, gastropods, and you know everything else, including animals uh, that we think of like reptiles and snakes and birds and all those play into it, right? But we don't have time to cover that all. We're not going to talk about blue jays and their, their impacts on soil building. Nobody's going to say it. I guess we'll just add it to the list, which is slowly becoming like a bucket list or whatever. I might actually die at this point before we finish it, and I think I might actually leave all of my belongings to the list. What do you guys think? The almighty list. <laughs> I love it. This is like um, fuck, Parks and Rec with the stupid tiny horse that they're all obsessed with. That's like a oh, cult. Oh, yeah, little, little Sebastian. Little Sebastian, yes. The list is our little Sebastian. I think that's all I got right now. There's obviously a lot more we could talk about here, and I'm I'm hoping this starts to tie together all the soil quality-related content we've been covering. I think it'll help frame up some of the stuff we uh, we do in the future. So, Matt, send us off into the abyss. Tell us about Uncle Ted. Not letting it go, buddy. Oh, my God. Yeah, what were uh, you going to say? We got we to gotta cut the audio for this. No. No nope. way. <laughs> now I want to know. You've, you've led us on too he, long. He smells like milk. He was good at math, and... He smells like milk? No, that was Timothy McVeigh. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about that, Uncle Tim. <laughs> <laughs>